Salutations and welcome to the See For Yourself podcast, the only podcast that prepared for battle by posing delicately in front of a swirling rainbow as our battle uniform weaves itself into place. I am your host, Bergamot, and today I am joined by... Smiling politely. Aren't we all? The movie I want to show to you today is uh, called... Well, actually, I'll tell you. I think you're going to like this title, so just sit tight. movie is called Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. Have you seen this film? I have not seen the movie. I, unfortunately for the listeners out there, I have seen this film. This is a film from 2006. Would you like to give your speculation on just the title alone, or would you like to get the blurb? Perfume, Story of a Murderer. It sounds like the kind of title that could very easily be followed up with, aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, you know, that's our season specialty, aren't we all? I am gonna, (laughs) right now we're having a hard time thinking about what we're even gonna do with season three. It might just become permanent with, you know, how high the demand is. Aren't we all applies to so many things? So I guess with that in mind, I'm hoping that it's just a story of like a regular dude who is going about his day, just living, living super normal Western uh, ideals, American life, just a regular dude. And he's like, man, uh, maybe his name is Perfume. You know, that's his name. People are mean to him about it. But every other aspect of his life is so normal. It's a boy named Sue, but his name is Perfume. Yes, yes, exactly. He, he snaps one day. He's had enough of it. You know, one day when he's going and he's like stopping by the lemonade stand uh, in his cul-de-sac, he's just like, hey there, little little lady, uh, what you doing here? And she's like, oh, lemonade, 25 cents, sir. And he's like, oh, you know what? I, I would really, I could go for a lemonade. What's, what's your name, young lady? And she's like, Jennifer. And he's like, oh, great. She's like, what's your name, sir? And he's like, Perfume. And she's like, oh, Come on, fuck you. No, it's not. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it is. Only for the 10,000th time. And he just like, he just had the, that's that's what breaks his back over it. He's like, oh, fuck you, little girl. And he just starts punching her to death. And that's where the movie ends. Uh, Roll credits after (laughs) after the murder. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Immediately after he punches a a 10-year-old to death. Uh, (laughs) And the movie was about how, you know, you don't know what people are going through. Poor old Perfume doesn't need to be harassed by, by people about his name. You know, he's been through this shit. Yeah, so we would empathize with Perfume and be like, well, he was just a regular person, but every the whole world was judging him by his first name. This is not the first time that I've done this, is it? Where I'm like, an emphasis on names. <laughs> well, like I said, I um, you hit a nice sweet spot with me. I like names too. I've been friends with an English major before, so this is this is the kind of brain tingle I'm looking for in a podcast. You're doing a great <laughs> job, smiles politely. <laughs> I do have the synopsis for you if you would like it. Are you ready? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to hear it. Okay. Set in the 18th century, an orphan born with an exceptional olfactory sense discovers an unsurpassed, wondrous scent. And kills it. Kill it! <laughs> he, just, he just holds that scent down underwater until the bubbles stop. <laughs> This is classified as a period piece and a crime drama. Some also classify it as a fantasy thriller. So you got a lot of flavors to work with. I think period piece is the one type of movie that we have just completely ignored on this podcast. I have that lit, uh, that ongoing list of movies that I'm trying to cover for this podcast and next to zero of them are period pieces. Are you afraid of period pieces? 
I think they get like a bad rap because things that take place in the past and that are specifically trying very hard to like be respectful of the history and everything are usually either the subject matter is kind of boring itself. And if the subject matter isn't boring, it's made by boring people. I can and get so that. They... There's a certain reverence we have for the past that's like, well, if we're going to go there, we have to educate people. And I prefer that education casually. Like I'm still happy when they do the research on the props and stuff, but I don't really want to know what my history book would say about this time period. I'm still more interested in the story. Would it be fair to say that you're hoping that the story uses its period well, like it incorporates it in a way that you can't just quickly retell this story, but this time in San Francisco 2023? I think that the way that this works best for, for a viewer like me, where the period aspect of it is sort of in the backdrop, you know, the characters' names, their clothing, the place that they're living in, the way that people generally behave, but where all of our main characters, our ensemble cast, are all uh, more or less relatable to my modern sensibilities. I think that just makes it easier to digest. It usually makes for a little bit more of a faster tempo storytelling. I can agree with that. Because uh, a lot of these older stories, I, I don't know why this comes to mind. There was a, I think it's literally just called Hamlet, but I could be wrong. I think it's Ethan Hawke playing Hamlet. Okay. And it's, it's set in New York modern day New York and everything is like redone to be modern day New York the king isn't a king he's the CEO of some big company so on and so forth they do all the dialogue like straight out of the the Shakespearean text like they don't change the dialogue at all from Hamlet I kind of know this from the um, contemporary version of Romeo and Juliet I don't remember what year it came out but I do remember I, I enjoyed that movie myself I was like yes something that isn't so bogged down with costuming yeah so for me that is like the opposite of what I want oh I would much rather it take place in Romeo and Juliet times everybody looks that way everybody like generally behaves that way but the dialogue is redone so the characters are more relatable to like my ears so the story stays the same but instead of it being quotable Shakespeare it's an everyday man's interpretation of what was said yeah and they can change that too if they want to like I'm not necessarily if things aren't exactly how they were supposed to be in Shakespeare, then I'm mad. I'm okay with them changing that too. I'm a big fan of like, hey, let's just change stuff because we can. Why not? Storytelling. We can do whatever we want here. There are a lot of interpretations of like Shakespearean texts, especially Hamlet. Like, did Hamlet's mom know that the king's brother killed the king? Does she know? A lot of performances take it one way or the other because they don't specifically tell you one way or the other in the text. So that's one thing that like, I think most people are willing to give a pass on because it's not specifically stated. I'm willing to give everything a pass like that just go nuts make whatever changes you want i don't care hmm. got a lot of rope from you about what to do with any story in any given time period so knowing that you got the synopsis would you like to alter your prediction in any way there might not be a lemonade stand there might be a, an extravagant lemonade stand uh, <laughs> do you want to start from scratch it's, it's a cathedral of lemonade i kind of made a joke about it already but i would like to expand on that joke okay you know he discovers this wonderful scent Yes. And uh, I was like, and then he kills it. Yeah. But like, but can we have that? <laughs> can we have that, please? So you're saying you would look forward to the scent itself being murdered in the story. He discovers scents and then he fucking kills them. And I think that's so cool. Like, like he doesn't kill the person with the scent. I, I don't know when perfume and cologne were invented. I have no clue. So this could, this movie could just be like a biopic on when perfume and cologne were invented, but they like judged it up with a little, with a little bit of a fictional character who can smell scents really, really good. And he's just like, I can't allow this to happen. I've got to kill scent. <laughs> 
the thing with me is you said you didn't want it to be uh, like any any people are murdered, but is the scent alive if it can be murdered? Like, how do you murder, let's say, Amber or like, uh, I don't know, Sandalwood? At what point is that murder? Does that does that fit the bill is what I'm guessing I'm trying to get at? First of all, I am very OK with a 10 year old getting murdered. OK, I mentioned that earlier. You did. And I'd like I'd like that to be clear. Okay. But also, uh, I like that as humans we love to anthropomorphize literally anything. Like we'll uh -huh. we'll pack we'll pack bond with anything. Like don't kill sense they have thoughts and feelings, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a mascot with a nose. Yeah. Uh and I think that, I think we should do that. Sure. Since we should, probably shouldn't kill a sense. Maybe he just roughs him up a bit. Like he's like, Sandalwood, you're too good. You're fucking up my nose. So I'm going to, I'm going to come over there and give you the old one, two, the old, the old buckle my shoe. I'm letting you off with a warning. But if I ever, if I ever smell you in my vicinity, <laughs> it's going to be game on. Don't you talk to me or my son ever again. <laughs> Another thing that I wanted to talk about is um, this story has crime in it, a murderer. It's also, you know, like uh, the tags are, it's a crime drama. And I heard from somewhere that you're kind of into the cops on film sort of thing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any uh, two cents you would like to donate to crime drama? as a portion of this movie. I hadn't even considered that. There's a really good probability here, and I'm not saying it's definitely gonna happen, but what if our main character teams up with the scent to investigate a completely separate and unrelated murder? Now, I would like to go for a title that's like, oh, you think you know what's going on, but twist and turn, it's not even actually about that murder. It's about this other murder. Like, that I'm excited for. I would also love it if the if everything about this is a bait and switch. Like, it's like, it's set in the 1800s but it's really only set in the 1800s for the first 15 minutes where we introduce the invention of perfume as a concept and then the guy who invented perfume or maybe it's a lady who invented perfume whoever invented perfume i don't care they also invented having sex with everyone who ever lived because instead of smelling like a fucking filthy onion like everybody else in the 1800s he smells like sandalwood or she smells like sandalwood she can smell like sandalwood i don't care and then everyone's just like please procreate with me i would i would love it if you would do that now everyone in the future is related to that person <laughs> So, so you you heard you heard the synopsis and you're like I don't see why it has to end in 18th the 18th century. We should bring that bad boy up to sci-fi future where all humans on the planet are related to this character in this film. And then it's the year 2300 and like the descendant of that perfume inventor person invents this incredible scent that they're able to discover with their super senses or whatever and they're like I made this new scent and it's super awesome. The murder aspect comes into play because instead of it making everybody like, hey, let's have sex with you because you don't smell like an onion like everybody else I've ever met in my entire life. Now he puts it on himself and everybody's trying to murder him. So this like the brown note of sense. Like... <laughs> yeah, it's just terrifyingly good smelling. People love it, but they love it so much. They're willing to kill. Oh, who really is the murderer in this story? It's the public. They, they're just, they're riotous mobs and they must be controlled. Speaking about law enforcement controlling the public, um, do you have a face in mind for who, what what kind of character is going to be investigating this crime as you see it? The investigator of the crime? The person that pursues the clues of the story. That one. I don't have any idea who could possibly be in this or even when this movie came out. Do we know when it came out? It came out in 2006. If I had to guess who's going to be our detective, I would say Hugh Jackman because I would like to say Hugh Jackman and I can say whoever I want here. In this movie, our 
Alan Rickman, Dustin Hoffman, and Ben Wishaw. I know Dustin Hoffman and Alan Rickman. I, I'm not so familiar with Ben Wishaw. Oh, oh, you will. You will learn this name because this is how I learned this name. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, you're going to find out today. You're going to find out, Smiles Politely. <laughs> I asked because I wanted to know if you had any sort of personality you would attribute to this investigator detective person. Not necessarily that you can envision them, but like the character that's going through the plot. Are, it, would it be like a cop looking at the lemonade stand after the words and be like, oh, great, more paperwork? Or, or is it going to be like a diehard that's like telling the whole public like, this is why we don't need lemonade stands. Look what happens when people ask questions about each other's names. I, I need to stop doing this because immediately when I'm like, it's a period piece, that just means that it's Le Miserables with extra steps. That's all this is. And so when I'm like, there's going to be a criminal aspect to it, it's like, all right, it's, it's Hugh Jackman, one of the roles. And then I guess Russell Crowe is the investigator. And he He's just torn up inside because this killer guy is killing for perfume. And he's like, damn, I love perfume because I can smell good. Or maybe the killer can smell good. I don't know who's the smell good guy. He can smell things real good. It's one of them. The the detective boy is just going to be torn up in knots about the ethics of criminality in general. But specifically, like, is it ever okay to murder? Is it okay to judge people who have, like, a different sense of the world? Maybe that's the thing that, like, makes him empathize with the killer is like, hey, killer, you are killing these people because you can smell perfume good. I don't know what it's like from your perspective. So I can't judge you the same way I would judge someone who has the same senses as I do or the same perspectives as I do. So we're cool, I guess. Am I am I nailing it? Did I nail it? You got it. You got it. I, I got a personality out of that. Thank you. That's what I was hoping for. And that's what I got. So are there any tropes that you suspect comes from a movie like Perfume, the story of a murderer? And I would help you out here, but as we both know, I've already seen it. So this is all you. Microphone right up to your chin being like, what, what's, what's those thoughts? Give me them. Give us, give it to us. Give us the, the quick and dirty thoughts. <laughs> Anything goes. All things can pass. I, I, uh, there's a reason we don't cover period pieces on this podcast. God damn it. Um, <laughs> I never know, uh, like exactly how to go with it because a lot of period pieces, you know, they're like, okay, well this was set in civil war times, but we're not going to like really show how shitty slavery was. All right, because that would that would suck, you know. <laughs> it's a movie about George Washington, so we're gonna focus on how noble George Washington was, and not how slavery is everywhere and it's super shitty all the time, no matter what. Yeah, because that's not the point of the thing. And I I imagine that will carry through in this, where it's like maybe it's set in. I'm trying to think of a place that would have like something that's like kind of an ugly truth that we want to hide. Maybe it's set in Britain or something, and they just don't want to cover the fact that what is it? Plumbing hasn't been invented yet, so basically you just gotta throw shit into the street the sanitary revolution is a big deal or like a, a lot of them don't focus on how the enlightenment hasn't happened yet and so everybody is like well well this is the way things are because because god said so because the lord and nobody is like well but but logically it doesn't make sense you know yeah in a lot of these they kind of pretend like the enlightenment had always happened and people didn't always use the lord as their argument because it is kind of boring in terms of writing to just be like well but the lord and everybody agreed yeah and everybody, yeah, because we've all been indoctrinated to believe this and nobody has questioned it yet. We all agreed. We all said, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot the Lord. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> 
Well said. So something something like that, they're going to sort of pretend that that's not how things work. I ignore this sort of ugly truth of a historical fact. And I'm, I'm concerned that it's going to be set in a place like Korea or something in the 1700s or the 1800s or whatever. And I'm just going to be like, oh, fuck, I have no clue what was going on in Korea in the 17 or 1800s. But it would be a good time to look at it, right? Right in front of you, right there. I'd be interested to know, yeah. But I'm also, that's the thing is, what is that, that famous line in a Batman movie where it's like, for the uninitiated that might be a cool place to learn about Korea in the 17 or 1800s. But as someone who knows how films like to lie to us, mm-hmm. I am initiated and I know that this is not and never will be historically factual. I am happy you bring this up because I did touch that this film hits fantasy, but it also, it's set in a particular time. I can't take the history away from it. It's trying to tell a story that already happened. I, I hope everybody can keep their ears open for how those two non-connected ways by your host might possibly be connected in the future. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. So it, you're almost making it sound like, because when you said fantasy, I immediately was like, oh, this isn't historical at all. This is just made up nonsense. But now I'm wondering, like, is this somebody's like fictitious account of like how Jack the Ripper might have been? This story is just about Jack the Ripper, who's like a very enigmatic character. People don't know how he worked, basically. And, oh. and somebody's just like, what if? What if he could smell real good and that's how he did it? <laughs> Maybe he evaded the police because smell. Yeah, uh, that could be cool. <laughs> Do you agree that that could be cool? Fuck yes. Would you watch that? Absolutely. Without a without a shadow of doubt. You got somebody signed up for that story. Um, There's about one more thing that I would like to touch on before we experience it. This film, notably in the perfume part and the olfactory sense part and the wanderous sense part, hits on scent and smelling and fragrances. How do you expect the film to handle this sense? It's not visual. It's not auditory. Are they going to downplay it? Do you think the director can handle how to compliment it? Like, what would you do slash what do you expect them to handle something so intangible? If it were up to me, I would say, let's try to find a way to create a visual metaphor that people can see and get, oh, that's what that smells like. I don't think that's entirely off because we do have perfume commercials and they're not all audio so you might have um, grounds for that if it had to be written i would try to go wholeheartedly into almost like a short not not a short story but like a two or three sentences of narrating about it smells like a very in-depth description of a specific feeling or moment in their life or thing that they did that this smell is now being connected to. And that could be a cool way to reveal something new about this character who has superpowers. This reminds me about that moment in um, Ratatouille where Anton Ego takes his bite of the food. It's, it's taste, but we still go back in time with him. We experience what that means to him that moment. Is that something like what you're describing? I think that that's like sort of the a really good marriage of the two ideas where it's like it's it's almost entirely visual that exact example you're giving mm-hmm. but it specifically is used to tell us more about the character of Anton Ego and his past and where he comes from and how that connects to earlier scenes in the movie because a lot of people a lot of eagle-eyed viewers would note that uh, Anton Ego's childhood home looks a lot like the old lady's home that Remy was stealing from at the beginning of the movie. Hadn't put those two together. But this sounds like uh, you'd make a good detective in convicting Ratatouille's Remy. Yeah, I mean he he has a uh, he has the memory for it. He could do it. Ego could ego could catch him. Yeah, uh, I I like the idea that they might be neighbors because the house seemed really really big 
if I if I remember correctly, the one that Remy's in versus the one we saw. But still. I think that the people who make this argument are saying it's the exact same house. Oh, well, I haven't watched it enough times to think about that, that case. But I learned something new today. It might be worth looking into, but um, I don't know which one I prefer. The idea of, hey, we'll show a visual and it'll just be like something that the audience can get. Or we'll just have dialogue that the character maybe narrates in his head or says out loud or something that will reveal something about the character that will be necessary later for some reason, either in his investigation of the killer or as he's killing someone because we don't know exactly who the killer is yet. I'm wondering if that will be a, an, an, an aspect of the story. Is it going to be like a like a mystery, like we're trying to discover who the killer is? Yeah, like the audience doesn't know. We are along for the ride trying to discover who the murderer is. Yeah, it could be the guy with the really good scent or it could be the guy investigating these murders or it could be whoever called in the murder to let... It was the butler. It was definitely the butler. <laughs> whoever whoever sent the the pigeon with the little note attached to it to the local police station informing them. <laughs> What I love about your imagination is that you get these details. I know on See For Yourself, we have a hyper-specific time paint. You've given me a lot of hyper-specific scenes. Do you want to have your own special, put it on a pedestal, this was my specific scene prediction for this movie? Okay, easy one. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm going to say it out loud and you're going to be like, I know exactly what you're describing and it is definitely going to be in this movie. So here it goes. There is going to be a shitty, gross like alleyway where the characters will see some sort of shadowy figure or somebody slip into it while they're doing their investigation. They will immediately be like, that's the guy. That's who did it because he slipped into this alleyway while we were investigating. And so he must be trying to evade us and we will now chase him. And there's a big chase scene in the middle of a busy, I don't want to say bazaar because a lot of these scenes, you know, I'm thinking of Aladdin, I guess, but a lot of them sort of take place in that sort of like uh, Middle East sort of area uh, where it's like, you know, a lot of people, street vendors, you know, they're selling things, you know, oh, please uh, buy my these fruits I'm selling, buy these clothes that I've, you know, made. And then the people jumping over their, their fruit <laughs> cart and like evading very rapidly, trying not to, you know, get caught by the cops. And then the cops being like, oh, darn, he's really good at this. <laughs> so there's going to be a my cabbages moment. Oh, so when the, the chasing happens to an unsuspecting vendor and now their produce or their wares are broken because they're the wrong place the wrong time in this high-speed pursuit. Yes, exactly that. Okay, just checking. And I hope it really ruins somebody's day too. I hope that they're on trial at the end being like them. They ruined my wares, cabbages, fruits. <laughs> it was them. It's going to be a lemonade stand. I already called this. <laughs> Gonna be a lemonade stand. I love it. I love it. There, there will actually have been the whole, the whole bit of the movie is gonna be that there was never anybody who got killed. That, that was completely, it was a misunderstanding between the investigators and whatever. But during the high speed chase in the, in the alleyway with near all the street vendors and everything, they ruined this little girl's lemonade stand. And when they finally, like you know, find out that like there was no killer and this was all just a big old red herring, she takes him to court. Was murdered. Was a little girl's entrepreneurship. Yeah. And and, and, and maybe maybe that's like the incredible scent too is that like the lemonade has now like burrowed into her skin and she just smells like the most fresh lemon of all time and she's like i don't like that i don't fucking like smelling like lemons okay i already work at a lemonade stand you know how many people want me now that i smell this good it's like everybody at all forever until the year 2300 i'm telling you there's something here it's not nothing <laughs> 
I don't think it's nothing either. We are getting to about that time. Is there any last predictions you would like to submit before watching this movie? I know you named a couple of uh, big actors who are going to be in this. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm hoping for, there are not a lot of movies that do this. And usually when, when it is a movie that does this, it's like a sort of a really low budget horror film. What I really would like to see is a chance for like no name actors to have a cool ensemble moments where they get chances to act, you know? Usually this is reserved for like the first Friday the 13th movie had this where like it was an ensemble cast and most of the actors got chances to do stuff. And there was only, I think like one actor in Friday the 13th that, that had any legitimate acting experience and talent and everything. Much like Nightmare on Elm Street. A lot of, a lot of no-name actors in that one who would later on become bigger actors, but it was because of these roles in smaller films. I don't know why bigger films don't do this where they're like, yeah, we're just going to hire some, I guess it's the, the risk reward factor, right? Like there's a pretty big risk that somebody will be like, yeah, my immersion was kind of ruined when Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe were acting in front of this no-name nobody, Johnny Depp, who know, who the fuck is that? And uh, his acting wasn't as good as Hugh Jackman or Russell Crowe's acting. That's true. Once you work with superstars, like as a main character in the same film, you're open to a lot more scrutiny if you can't carry the mantle. So I don't know if this would color your judgment at all, but I do want to tell you before we get into it that this movie was based on a book and the book was written in 1985. Did the book have a different title? No. God damn it. I was hoping the name of the book would be Lemonade Stand. <sighs> that would have been cool. <laughs> if, if that were true, I'd be like, you don't get to find out about that title until <laughs> after we watch. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Roll credits. Let's let's get on to watching that film. Why, why don't we do that? It's one of, the, one, of the, one of those. Well, would you, uh, smiling politely, would you like to guess the name of the book? Is it Lemonade Stand? No, you idiot. It would never be named that. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We come, we come back in three minutes and I'm like, oh, uh, actually. No. Oh, no. Well, I think we are ready to uh, see. And I welcome our listeners to come along for the ride and watch it along with us in the break. Yes, do, do that. Please, please watch this movie. I've heard it's pretty good from somebody. Somebody probably said that to me once, I bet. There's got to be at least one person that thinks so. Uh, see for yourself. <laughs> And we're back from watching the movie. So it's a lot to digest. I know there's plenty of thinking space as soon as I see the end scene. I'm not exactly immune to it. I just like to think that I have a pretty good response time when it comes to unusual things. I am very curious to know your thoughts because now it's a shared experience and we can talk more uh, in a collaborative way. What's on your mind? What, what, what did you just see? Well, you know, first I'd like to go ahead and say, you idiot! <laughs> the ending isn't the part that I want to go ahead and start off talking about. It's obviously the beginning. Alrighty. Got a chrono nerd over here. Go on. Well, you know, the severe brain problems I have cause me to be like, no, you started the beginning. Do, do, do. Not, not all in this particular case it does, but, but specifically because the opening scene kind of encapsulates all of my problems with the movie and all the things I like about the movie all at once. Okay. Let's hear it. So like just the first few seconds of the movie, that like dark room and he's like standing at the center 
center of it and his eyes are like piercing to you at the audience as, as as an audience member he's like looking directly at you and all you can see is those like white little specks at the center of his eyes and a light like reflecting back at you killing moment yes excellent cinematography and it's the visuals are so well done you get it this is an ominous figure this is a demon almost you know they, they call him a demon later on in the movie and the only time i really feel that demon energy is right at the beginning the rest of the movie kind of just makes him out to be like a he's like a stalker and that's scary for its own reasons but never demonic never like otherworldly scary you know but this 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 the first four seconds of the movie perfectly encapsulate that mm, yes a couple of shots after that they do a pretty good job of like keeping his eyes hidden for the rest of these opening scenes keeping his face sort of obscured mostly until they're announcing that they're going to to kill him he's going to be beaten on a cross and then hanged until dead and they won't give him any of the normal courtesy they that the executioner is known for his his courtesy and they're not going to give him any of that i loved that i thought that was kind of funny and the mob is like really happy for this news it's like it's calming them down on a on an internal level they're like ah oh, yes the justice that is going to happen tomorrow finally some catharsis for the heinous crimes this man has committed and i'm like all right the, the blurb kind of set me up for this i believe it i get it and uh and also in that scene like uh you know, when you get that like demonic visage of him right away and then his like nose pokes out and his like the nose muscles kind of like tense up. And I loved that. I thought that was cool because if you if you know the blurb, you know who it is. Somebody's got it. And this is that's that guy. Yeah, he's got the good nose. So that's what they're getting across. And I didn't need anyone to tell me that I didn't need the blurb. It, it, it made sense just off of the visuals. But then as the scene is ending and I'm like, damn, these visuals were so good. And, and the few lines they had kind of just told us, hey, this guy's going to get killed for his crimes. That's basically all the lines are there for. There's, there's really nothing else that's being said here. But then a narrator comes on and he's like, hey audience, you're pretty fucking stupid, right? Not really paying a whole lot of attention, I bet. Let me go ahead and spell all this out for you. Yep. Every time the narrator is used in this movie, that's exactly what he's saying. Hey, you're pretty stupid audience. This is what's going on. Well, I don't hear it so much as you are stupid. I hear it as if we were to get this character to say this, it would take another three movies because he's just a quiet guy. So why don't I just, uh, he feels things. He's got ambition. He doesn't have ambition. It's here. They die. <laughs> they die. Do you count his first screaming, sending his mother to the gallows as part of his kill count? Oh, that's a good question. The movie certainly wants you to. And this is another case of the narrator kind of telling you, hey, you're kind of stupid. You're not paying attention. You're not thinking about any of this stuff. Let me think about it for you. I hate that. I don't want narrators used that way, uh, where they're just letting you know what you should be thinking right now. And that's what the narrator did in that scene. He literally says the, the first act he ever performed would send his mother to the gallows, his scream would send his mother to the gallows. It would kill his mother. Uh, and that's something to consider. That's something to think about, audience, you big stupid idiots. I was hoping you would get to that scene and you'd be like, oh, well, roll credits. The murder already happened. <laughs> we know who got murdered. It was his mom. All righty. My big thing with the murders that like I was thinking about a lot was that how a lot of this is kind of just, uh, it's like an allegory for puberty, almost. I noticed a girl for the first time and it made me feel strange. Man, I feel so strange. I'm going to act strange now. And I'm not just going to act strange. I'm going to kill. And his first kill, uh, when he's like an active participant, because like the crying kill is kind of, he's not an active participant in that. It just sort of mob mentality type stuff. Or the orphanage transaction kill. So, so that's, that's something that's separate as well. That's, that's worth talking about. I really liked a lot of times whenever he, or not a lot of times, almost every time, whenever he separates himself 
from somebody he's interacting with, mm -hmm. they get killed. Mm -hmm. Or they they don't get killed. They die somehow. So the, the, the first character sort of dies off from being killed, but then the next guy just falls over and dies. And the next guy after that, uh, his house falls in on him and he probably should have known that was going to happen. It would have been nice to see it come back one more time after that, but we don't really get another use of that joke where it's like, oh, our main character separates himself from somebody and then they die. Like maybe at the end when he's leaving the town to go and investigate the man and his daughter that escaped and the guard is like, oh, he went north. And then maybe a brick falls on the on the guard's head and he dies. That that might have been kind of a, a final funny use of that gag. Because for me, it is it is meant to be funny. And I think that the, the narrator sort of punctuating each of them is trying to make it a little funny i don't know i interpret those deaths as not loopholes but um tying up loose ends to the claim that jean baptiste is a real historical figure so the movie presents itself like you don't know about this man because he was all about smell and you won't find documentation of him because this died this died he switched hands this document perished and people lose their memory and you know it just every moment where you're like well somebody should have brought that up the reason why he no longer can be remembered is also brought up the way i interpreted it was that uh this was like foreshadowing for future events like every time he takes a step to get closer to his ultimate goals somebody dies and that's like foreshadowing for how in order to achieve his ultimate goal he would have to kill all these women mm -hmm. like because they do mention that at the beginning where they're like hey he's as fleeting as the thing that he is known for which is scent you know he's known for his ability to interact with scent and uh, it's, it's a fleeting thing you know just like his the memory of him i think that uh or i thought the reason that people don't remember him is specifically because the, the big thing that makes him legendary people were like so uh distraught about what had happened because they they mentioned that they're like oh this doesn't line up with these people's morals and they feel so bad about it and they feel kind of hung over from the whole event so they tried not to remember it they tried to forget yeah and so in my mind that was why he's not remembered by the, the history books is because the people that uh, got to experience his legendary moment felt bad about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. you're, you're probably more right in that the way that the, the movie probably tries to sell it is these people all died and so nobody has an account of this dude. One of the things that I enjoy about Ben Wishaw's portrayal of Jean-Baptiste is that he's like a blank canvas. I know that's what you didn't like is that he's a demon and then he's a regular guy and then he's an angel, but I enjoyed that he's handsome if you want to see him as handsome or he's disturbing if you want to see him as disturbing i feel like that takes i don't know how he's doing it but it takes a lot of subjectivity and really spins it because it's basically a silent film like he he asks about scent and when some minor characters ask him for news like where should i put these tuber roses he'll say something then but for the most part you don't hear about his inner workings at all there are a lot of stories that involve silent characters that are not being produced outside of their original format like you know making a tv show about them or making a whatever the hell about them because people are i think intimidated by silent characters and trying to portray them in a way that's engaging for audiences mm -hmm. there are a lot of stories i like that involve silent characters and unfortunately it's it's probably true that the more i think about it silent characters do kind of come off as well you know whatever you want them to be that's what they are 
When the light hits his face from the right side, oh, well, that's really charming. When it hits his face from the left side, I was like, dude, back up in this dark alleyway. I did really like how the movie played with shadows a lot, and he would sort of appear from the darkness in the way that he did, especially in that scene with the first girl that he, like, accidentally kills, and she's just sitting there, and his face just sort of forms in from the darkness. Pretty, pretty great. So we didn't get a little girl getting murdered by the title murderer but we did get murdering children did that did that scratch your itch at all no i want i want the little girl to be stomped out of existence for her entrepreneurship how dare she oh we were so close i thought i was like well they're murdering a baby surely that must count in some way no not good enough not good enough not, no. <laughs> not good enough it's good it's not good enough <laughs> So I wanted to draw attention to it being a fantasy and historical at the same time. It's treated like a biopic, which I think is um, pretty cool. I, I don't know how much context I need, but that, that narrator was there for me. So I was like, oh, treat him like a real person. It does feel very grounded, even though we're talking about basically a, a potion that can command the love of all mankind. But you still get the slop and the guts and the maggots and the dung. So it's, it, the setting feels feels very real to me and I appreciate that from from a movie where the main character comes into possession of perfume that can give you paradise if you ever smelt it like I really appreciate grounding the rest of the story instead of just writing it off as you know high fantasy uh, this movie is like as close to anime as live action will ever get <laughs> I want to hear more tell me more it really does especially in the ending and 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 probably for almost all of the kill scenes in the movie they do a good job of making that shit pretty anime like it's like kind of edgy but in like a fun way like not like edgy for the sake of making you go oh damn that's churning my stomach but like edgy in the way that it's like edgy things can be fun this is fun look how fun it is and like you're watching a, a woman getting killed in a back alley that shouldn't be as fun as it is in this movie several times yeah yeah oh look she's being pulled in from the alley again <laughs> and and that's kind of the vibe that anime gets at where it takes a, a lot of times not not all anime but a lot of anime takes like some pretty serious subject matter and will turn it fun somehow mm -hmm. and that is exactly what they did at the ending scene where it's like he's gonna go get executed and nope his wild performance in creating perfume has turned him into the messiah of smells and now everybody's happy having a smell drunk orgy. <laughs> I liked the commitment to the orgy, though. This movie was not messing around with making that orgy happen. I'm happy you approve. I was like, this might not have enough dongs for his quota. I, that was going to be my one thing. You caught me. I knew it was There's not enough gay representation in the, like, man-on-man -man gay stuff in the, the orgy. You see a lot of, like, woman-on-woman -woman in there, but I challenge you to look for two dudes kissing in that orgy scene. That's fair. I scoured it. And there's certainly no dong. Zero dong. I gave I gave up on the dong like two shots in. I was like, all right, there's going to be no dong. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I see where I'm not wanted. Look, man, I just, I think that if we're going to show lady titties all the fucking time, and we fucking do, we could at least show a little bit of dude dong. Like a little bit. Let's say, let's say one dude dong for every four pairs of titties. We would have seen plenty of dude dong. That's very true. And we linger on it too. I was like, how many times are we going to look at the dead first victim's boobies all out being cold because to me that's i i empathize with her being cold is like on the cold floor in that cold night put a blanket on her <laughs> 
I, I will say one of the things about the death scenes, because you're right, the ridiculous use of male gaze. Like, we know we're making this movie for guys, so we're going to have a lot of the camera fixate on Titty. Cool. And, and it makes sense for his character, because he's a young man, and like I said, there's something about this that is like a, an allegory for puberty. But when the women died, and especially that first victim of his, her eyes are open the entire time. And I loved that. I thought that was so good. Yeah, it shows um, how detached he is from a normal person like you or me that would be like well at least close her eyes no that guy is all about catching what's left of her smell and then basically weeping over it because that's the part that he cared about when that goes away he's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute it's like yeah that kind of happens there's probably a lot to be said for that like showing the eyes open that way it, it, there's so many different things you can take from it you know does it represent how this is his path toward enlightenment and you know the eyes like symbolize enlightenment is it is it meant to uh, imply he's moving towards uh, connecting with her soul you know that's what he wants to do the eyes are the window to the soul you know there's there's a lot of cool stuff to be had here uh, in terms of metaphorical language speaking of enlightenment in one of your previewings you were talking talking about how maybe the enlightenment hasn't happened yet or that movies always play that it's always has happened. So we have a detective character that is definitely not conflicted about what our murderer guy is doing, but also he doesn't know that he's born with an olfactory sense. And Antoine Rishi is really committed to using logic and clues and his power of reasoning when the people around him are looking for an easy solution. Uh, your thoughts? I did, I did appreciate that like the people are calling for a religious response and he's like, no, we have to try to consider why he's doing this. We have to think like a criminal. Thinking like a criminal to catch a criminal is enlightenment style thinking. Even more so, even more enlightenment style thinking is realizing that if you torture someone for several hours, they will say whatever you want them to say. Mm -hmm. Exactly why torture is considered a terrible interrogation method. It, it doesn't work. You get lies is what you get. Yeah. And the movie brought that up repeatedly. And I really loved the movie for that. That specifically out of all the things in the like investigation portion of it, continuously reminding the audience, if someone's in an interrogation room and they get tortured in any way, you should assume that whatever they're saying is a lie. Whatever they're admitting to is a lie. They're just saying whatever they need to say to get out. And I firmly believe that all police interrogations need to be filmed from beginning to end and provided to the jury in that case. Mm, I, I haven't heard that stance before, but I like how clear it is. And uh, in light of what I've just watched, it makes sense to me. It really sucks how a movie in 2006 depicting the 1800s or the, the late 1700s is basically able to accurately talk about an issue with law enforcement that exists to this day. <laughs> yes, that, that, yes. Very much yes. Speaking of uh, settings, were you disappointed that this didn't happen in Korea or America or Britain? I would have also accepted the Middle East, but... <laughs> I will quote my uh, world history teacher, my, my college level world history teacher in saying that Europe in the 17 and 1800s, basically a pretty big shithole. And I'm glad that, you know, we, we got to go to Europe at all. There's a, there's a, a podcast member who is probably woefully upset he didn't get to watch a movie about pretty big shithole France being a pretty big shithole. And because uh, that's that's been a running gag on our podcast that France is the bad guys. We can safely make fun of France. Fuck you, France. You're gross awful and uh and here we are with a movie where france is uh, pretty gross and awful <laughs> yes oh man the extent at which they go to depicting the poor as just like the movie hangs out with rich people and when it shows you poor people they got 
very little else on their mind except surviving. And in a way, like looking back on it, it's like, I get that we don't have time to have a philosophical discussion with these people, but that your eyes light up for a stranger when you got fish guts all over your face. It's just something feels wrong about that. Yeah, I, I did like that scene that comes over with a box full of fish and he's just like, here you go, lady. And she's like, oh, thanks. And she goes back to cutting the fish and then she just pops a baby out. I thought she might enjoy that. Yes. Oh, I'm impossibly pregnant now. Let me just squeeze this out and uh, right back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, why would she do that? Thankfully, the narrator's like, well, she's kind of used to them all dying or kind of dying. So she's she's just giving up on them. Well, so and that's another aspect of the narrator ruining things. I feel like if I were just left there to think about it, I would have either came to a similar conclusion or at least thought work must be really important compared to like dealing with this child who's going to drain money from you, whereas selling fish is going to make money for you. It makes sense that she would just get back up and be like, fuck that kid. I've got to make sales. Didn't make sense to me. So um, my idea was immediately the first sentence that came to me. Thankfully, that was this the narrators but otherwise it would have been she let that baby die where's the mama she let that baby die. she's a murderer that mom murdered her baby or attempted to and justice was had that day baby still doesn't have a mom yeah so that's that's something i was thinking about as they're murdering the mom is like well but this doesn't solve the problem necessarily like the kid now has to go to has to go to an orphanage and then as soon as he gets into the orphanage the other kids are like yeah let's smother this baby because it sucks <laughs> So I have read the book because um, I like movies. I have a special respect for movies that make me read a book. I was recommended this movie by a good friend of mine. And it took me a while to get up the courage to see it because it's rated R for disturbing imagery and what's it? Aberrant, aberrant behavior involving nudity, violence, sexuality, and disturbing images. So yeah, not usually what I'm after. But when I got the courage to watch, I lost my train of thought reading that. I'm so sorry. I got the courage to read it uh to watch it i thought it was beautiful <laughs> it's just a beautiful ride i thought the movie was good but i did not think it was great i feel like it was missing something and i can't quite put my finger on it and the movie does also seem very indulgent which i feel bad saying considering like anything that gets us more alan rickman acting is probably worth any amount of indulgence but yeah the movie is like two and a half hours long and we talk on this podcast a lot about how a 90 minute movie is what we're aiming for jeez louise i did not feel like that extra hour was earned mm. i think that there was a lot of time spent with dustin hoffman's character that was kind of a waste and we could have wrapped that up a little bit faster maybe wrapped up those like intro scenes a little bit faster and cut this thing down to a more reasonable two hours but honestly like even with that in mind this is a pretty minor gripe the movie's still really good there is a uh, I, I might be saying this a little early but i you know whatever our, our audience are probably all french people just waiting to rain down hellfire on us for saying mean things about france okay this movie and a lot of it's like narrative that it's trying to discuss the themes that it's trying to like incorporate it reminds me of devil man have you ever you ever, did you ever get into devil man you must love devil man i imagine no i don't know of such a thing no not a, not a big devil man fan it just doesn't seem like no no, nope, nope. A, 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 a devil fan, a devil man fan, a devil <laughs> fan man? All kinds of no. Okay, well, maybe devil lady? There's also that in case you're ever wondering, like, well, is there devil man for girls? Yes, there is. <laughs> Mrs. Devil Man? <laughs> I'll play. <laughs> Madame de devil man. Um... <laughs> 
But uh, uh, basically, Devil Man is this story of a character who, along with a friend of his, a, a very apathetic friend of his, they discover that, that devils are real and that's kind of kind of spooky and that they're eating people alive and killing them and whatnot. And that's not great. So in order to fight back against that, our main character, sort of accidentally, but, you know, it, it does happen, it becomes part devil and he becomes, wait for it, Devil Man! Ah, oh, there we go, isn't that fun? And that's basically like episode one of Devil Man. But as the story progresses, it becomes a very in-depth discussion on human uh, behavior. Are people capable of being good? Is morality gray? Uh, all of these different questions of like the human condition. And I guess when it started to remind me of this, of, of Devil Man, is sort of towards the end of it, in the like big climactic climax, cli climac climacterate scene for Devil man uh the main character's buddy cop best friend sidekick guy reveals to the entire world that he is part devil and that devils are real they're not just a myth and that they're out there killing people all of the people who hear about this just become a horrifying mob just trying to kill every person who's a devil and every person who's related to a devil every person who's associated with a devil doesn't matter we're killing them we're scared and it reminded me of the scene where they start arming all of the people of grass mm-hmm and they just start shooting random people. Yeah. Like the guy just wakes up from his bed, sees his like servant. And he's like, breakfast, sir. And he just shoots him, which again, comedy gold. But I think it's supposed to be a commentary on the reactionary nature of humans and how we're skittish and scared. And we'll just, we'll just shoot at anything because we're terrified. That poor wig maker, as soon as they thought hard enough to be like, what could this guy that crops women's hair be doing with it? The wig maker, <laughs> you murderer. They like kick him out of his shop and drag him through the dirt. Yeah, it's interesting. That is one of the failings of Perfume. I don't think at any point did I really sympathize with the main character. I was never really like, ah, oh, yeah. I feel close to this guy. He and I would get each other, you know? I get how you feel in this moment, you know? At, at, like, next to never. I'm weirdly comforted that you don't have as much in common with the main character as you would have liked. But I but I do have more in common with Devil Man, is what you're saying. You're like, you're like, it's cool that you sympathize with Devil Man and the suffering he goes through. Yeah, it took the words right out my mouth. <laughs> you don't sympathize with regular French dude. <laughs> Uh, so not quite the same thing, but big emotional experience. We have this 360 moment with Dustin Hoffman's character when he smells Grenoly's first smell. Were you were you yelling at the screen? I told you, Bergamot, it was going to be like this visual is all the way. I, I basically predicted this because when I watched it again, I was like, well, he might get me on this one. The thing that like took me off guard is that uh, the master guy is like going to the place and he's got that like cloth over his mouth yes or, or over his nose and mouth i guess and in my mind i'm like well so why doesn't Grenwy need that? And the answer is Grenwy, like, he loves all scents. There's no, like, he loves the scent of, like, iron that's rusted. He loves the scent of the muddy bog and the frog giving birth to a bunch of tadpoles. He loves all those scents. He thinks they're wonderful. And that's just to show how sophisticated his his smell is. The master is like, no. Can barely handle the same perfume a few times without 
exhausting his nose. Yeah, he's got to, and like, it also shows earlier where he like kind of holds his nose for a few seconds and then smells the perfume. Yes. It's to cleanse <laughs> yes, his does. palate. Mm-hmm. I do like that he teaches us about perfume because I had no perfume knowledge and this movie is about a perfumer and a perfumer's journey. So they're talking about enfleurage and distilling essences. And yeah, I wouldn't know what the window in your cellar is for. It's for cramming a whole bunch of roses down. Okay, good to know. Well, so this brings me to a something that also frustrated me about the movie. Gren- Grenoir is kind of a Gary Stew, sort of the, the male counterpart to the Mary Sue where he's as, as great and wonderful as he needs to be at any given thing and usually this is like very good at it like he's as successful as he needs to be but the bar isn't lowered to like you were as successful as you needed to be at this but you're kind of still bad at it no like he's really 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 good at it and he needs to be in order to get this apprenticeship so that he could learn a bunch of stuff but like it kind of already seems like he knows more than the master in a lot of ways so you get this dichotomy between um dustin hoffman's baldini who believes that a master of perfume craft is someone who's humble, has worked hard, has put in the experience, has learned about the formulations that knows the order of the essences and the alcohols. But all of that is, as far as Grenouille is concerned, just human-made stuff. He knows his sense, so he's able to put them together. Whether he can give you a formula, a man-made concoction of measurements, no, he's he's never encountered those things. But as far as being able to identify them and combine them in the way that he smells them as they are in the room, I, I don't find it so hard to believe. I'm not saying it's hard to believe. I'm saying that it doesn't feel good watching that and like seeing him just like show up and already be really great at it. It's not a good anime character right now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he doesn't go through an arc of like... I kind of sucked at this a little bit and I got better at it over time. Look no further than Rocky Balboa to see how fucking powerful that is as a narrative tool. And Rocky Balboa is not a great example because like the first time we really get to see him box, he goes toe to toe with a truly great boxer. He does train and we watch him get better at it over time is is what I'm getting at. When he goes to learn Enflourage, he's already the best one at it. And everyone's like, look at him and how he does it. He's our example of how to do this properly. Damn, he did he just get here? How long has he been here doing this? Did he suck at this at one point? We certainly didn't get to see. No, I I bought it. I was like, yeah, he can smell the difference between doing it right and crushing the very soul of the flower. So when it does come to him experiencing an arc, we do see him fail in the brand new technique of distilling a human soul into an essence. He fails with distilling the cat, the glass, the copper. Then he fails with the barn girl. And then he just gets it right with the prostitute. Sorry, the sex worker. Correct term. I think I like more of the attempts with the, the farm worker and the sex worker as like, hey, he's not doing great at this and he's messing it up. But it, they could have done a better job of lingering on those than they did. I think that the copper, the glass, and the cat all happens in one scene. It's like rapid fire and we don't see him fail. We really see the master fail because the master told him this is what you do and he did what the master told him to do and it didn't work. So he's only failed in the sense that he did everything right, but this was the wrong method. Did you like how his life wasn't worth living if he didn't find a way to do it? He like suffers from this grave illness and it's all based on his willpower. He's like, is there any other way to accomplish my means because if not I'm tapping out my life is not worth it I think that that's very anime that's an anime (laughs) thing to do 
So I have in my notes here, which are not really in the particular order since we've been rambling. You predicted that there would be a character in the 18th century who smells good and has their pick of sex with everyone because they smell so good. And I wanted to take that statement apart and be like, so is it true that smelling really good lets you have your pick of literally anybody you want? Because this movie, I think, says that is true. I do like that he didn't ever abuse how good he smelled or how good he could make things smell to receive sex himself. I thought that was a good choice on the filmmaker's behalf, especially with the character that we have at this point. It would seem even more criminal than he already seems, you know what I mean? What I enjoy is that he keeps using the scent of women to get more respect out of men. So the time that he does this with his enflourage teacher's lover, he's like, oh, that guy, that that sewer rat. And then he puts on the perfume. It's like, could you be so kind as to uh, fix the frames for us, please? And then in the jail cell, he puts on enough of it to where they're like, oh, sure, you can have my clothes. That, that <laughs> seems like a good idea. I did really like how he got the... It's... I don't know why this is a thing in film. This is like the third time I've seen it, so I'm going to point it out. Austin Powers has almost that exact same outfit. Uh, Django from Django Unchained uh, has almost that exact same outfit. And now this guy. It's the uniform. I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but that like that crushed blue velvet like attire. Something With a thousand about it. buttons. Yeah, yeah. Something about it is just really cool and at the same time really not cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I, I think it still looks nice, but as you know, I, I'm a fan of Austin Powers. Yeah, well, hard not to love. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I wanted to talk about the music in the movie. I love this soundtrack. For a while, I would play it without watching the movie, just playing the, the music. I feel like the music adds a whole other layer. At first, I thought it was complimentary of the smells, but on this viewing, I think it's really just a compliment of the thriller aspect. Sometimes you get like a heavenly chorus when people are experiencing the divine smell. But for the most part, the film uses the music like things are about to go down or uh oh somebody's in the shadows you know that sort of tempo and heartbeat i did think that the uh the soundtrack was very good for me it it just followed whatever the i guess the plot was doing or maybe not the what the plot was doing the, the theme of the moment yeah whatever emotion they're trying to evoke they did a good job of lining that up with the music and that doesn't have to be the only reason they chose uh the given song and the given scene but it was the thing that i picked up on most often was this uh song does a good job of evoking this type of emotion so good job. I also want to point it out because our director has a hand in composing the music for this movie. Ooh, that's good. I always love uh, directors who do more than just directing, you know, whether that's editing or writing or composing. It warms my heart to see directors putting on more than one hat, I guess. Mm, This director did put on more than one hat. So we just take a moment to appreciate that the music harmonizes with the vision and the vision harmonizes with the music. There was a part early on where they mentioned that the uh, the people in the tannery live for about five years. That's that's about as long as you can work in the tannery without dying. And that's kind of scary for me as I'm watching like the main character like, oh, well, he basically gets to do this until he's 18 and then he dies, question mark. Uh, and I was expecting some sort of a payout for that. But the next thing we get like that kind of relieves that tension, I guess, is a scene where 
the the tanner is kind of letting him know like hey we're bringing you into town with us and the narrator says he was alive he had triumphed and at last he was in his element and that's when the scene transitions to him being in the city but to me it felt like i don't know it, it felt almost like you gotta you gotta work and pay your dues and then you can finally get the big reward of being able to live your life the way you wanna i didn't like that as like a suggestion at all mm. and i get it like this is a time where this guy's a slave and he's being bought and sold you know and and convincing his next master to buy him yeah a lot of our current modern day uh difficulties with labor are not compatible with the time period but you could, you could find a better way to frame it than that i would think the first time he finally gets to go into the city he's like i've come alive i've triumphed over all the difficulties and i can now start living my life the, the way that it was meant to be oh god Maybe simple pleasures for a simple guy not being killed, even though everybody wants him dead. I also liked how the first time he gets like attempted murdered, they're trying to suffocate him. And the first person that he accidentally kills, he suffocates them. That's true. That's very true. I like how his first trip into town, he's like, this is for me. I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to sniff all of the smells. Then he discovers a perfumery, which like, hello, that would be the first thing that I'd try to smell. But I, I distinguish, whereas he He's, you know, being greedy. And so he risks it. He knows that his master is like merciless. I mean, we see all the scars on his body, I'm guessing from the tanning process, but also because, you know, he has a harsh boss and he's like, well, if I'm going to be my one day outside the cage, I might as well make it count. And boy, does he gets the perfumery and the most exotic divine scent he's ever smelled before in the same night. I do like that they kind of captured a lot of those like modern day, like creepy guy behaviors in his interaction with that woman you know she's like i'm a fruit vendor i'm here to vendor my fruits which looked a lot like lemons by the way they are classified as yellow plums but i'm hearing you out i'm hearing you out I'm not trying to say they were definitely lemons. I doubt they were lemons. I'm okay with them not being lemons. I'm just saying they look like, they look, look a lot like them. Does her basket count as a lemonade stand? I mean, I mean, you were willing to accept a lemon castle. This is like a more reasonable lemon castle. Go on. Yeah. And he, uh, he grabs the, the hand that possesses the fruit and just puts the nose right on that like pulse where people like to put their perfume where they drip it, just puts his nose right on there. And it's like, oh, yeah. And, and I liked how he acted the way that a normal person person would react like yeah dude what the hell yes i get it thank you please i'm so glad that the movie didn't try to like downplay that somehow they could yeah. have they could have been like oh sir <laughs> please um i'm not that kind of girl just take my plums yeah i i'm a i'm a i'm selling my plums and i don't know if i uh, want you smelling me but uh, th thank you very much sir and i'll be on my way like no she she told him this is fucking weird dude you're weird go fuck yourself i'm out of here and then the stalking continued and i uh, I don't know. I just like how they didn't try to downplay how fucked that was. No, that I'll also tip my hat for that because unfortunately, I feel like modern movies would have. They would have been like, oh, he's um, he's just interesting. And I have the patience of a saint when it comes to my very cheap yellow plums. That may have been lemons. We don't know. It's hard to tell. Who knows? Could be anything. Mm, mm, mm. I'm just saying every time she opened up one of those plums, I was like, well, there's yellow stuff in there. Lemons have yellow stuff. I'm just saying. Mm, mm, 
Mm. So we didn't quite get a chase scene, I think, in the way that you were describing. But there was kind of like a dance scene after the fake villain had been captured, which I thought was a beautiful moment where you have uh, the church being stirred in their prayer and the news reporter, the courier, running as fast as he can. And then we have this still shot of uh, the main character just counting how many he has left and appreciating his work so far. So when the news is like, guy's been captured, like the audience is not at all deceived. But a little bit after that, when the town is rejoicing that the danger is gone, there's a whole bunch of dancing happening. I feel like that's the most public scene we get because the rest are kind of narrow with the exception of the finale. And another example of like characters not taking mistreatment lightly. Laura gets uh, slapped in the face by Alan Rickman. And then instead of, oh yes, father, of course you can slap me in the face because it's 17 hundreds france she like she, she fucks right off she's like nah fuck that i ain't getting slapped in the face again i'm out of here she bolts yeah until she goes into the horror hallway where there's clearly someone at the end of it waiting to murder you <laughs> yeah so it's like it's not quite a chase it's more like a trap thing where it's like come a little further so that the box can fall on you but um it was from a public area to a pursuit of some sorts even if we backpedaled before anything dangerous happened did you think that she might have been captured in the maze uh, because this is before we start counting the bottles so it could have been her were you of the opinion that uh, he he got her when they're playing hide and seek in your rich people maze i think he realized that she was going to be the last component and so he put her off till the 13th one for fear of he's got her and might as well use it since i've got it you know no 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 no. i'll, I'll put it off till the very very end and then because it's going to be my final one so I'll... i did like that the two women that he like clearly had a big thing for were both redheads it feels like to me not that the movie's trying to say the redheads are special in some way but rather that like he's trying to recapture that original feeling he had. Yeah. And I think the movie corroborates that in the end when he's thinking about her in those sort of closing scenes. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why I brought up that I had read the book was because it explores the themes of having a scent legitimizes your presence. So because he doesn't have a scent, the dogs don't pick up on him in the battle scene. I mean, it helps him clearly identify every scent because he doesn't have to smell past himself, but people sense it. And the one person that does doesn't sense it is the orphanage owner. In the book, you can see a little bit of the makeup in the movie, but in the book, she has her sense of smell blunted. I don't know if it was like an ironing rod or something, but it, it affected her nose. So for her, she doesn't feel like she's in possession of an otherworldly non-human. But everybody that can kind of smell does pick up on that does not feel good. He shouldn't be here. And she probably treats everyone the same despite their scent, which is like a lot of what he's sort of getting at with the I don't have a scent and therefore I do not exist. Yes. Therefore I am I am in a constant state of oblivion. And I have to do something to matter. I did like that he did find a place where he found some degree of peace and he stayed there for quite some time. There are a lot of times in stories where this happens. Probably one of the more famous uh, examples is the Odyssey where the characters go to like a peaceful place where they're, they're happy and they're at peace. And in the Odyssey, they stay there pretty much until they realize that they're like growing old and they've been doing this for entirely too long. And in this story, it's kind of the same where he goes to this peaceful place and he stays there for entirely too long. And I wondered if that was like a, I don't know, purposeful like reference to the Odyssey or if it's just like a thing in these like not heroic tales, but uh, grand tales, you know, of passion. A hero's journey. I don't want to call him a hero exactly. Huh? <laughs> 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 
So I read the book only one time a few years ago, like more than five years, a few years ago. And what I remember is that he comes out of the cave and he's found by a con artist pretending to be a discoverer. And so they put him on display like a freak show, like, look at this missing link of a man that I found. He was in the wilderness and we have sophisticated him. We, we, um, what's it? Not my little lady. <laughs> my fair lady? Yes! We my fair lady them! <laughs> oh, look at how civilized he is! And the movie did a wise job of saying, maybe that's not what we need in this movie. Let's cut back to where he's just employed. And Little little do we know, they made a three-hour long version of the movie where 30 minutes of, his, of it is dedicated to that! They did their best. They did their best to tell the shortest story possible, and this is what they got. I also wanted to talk about how early on you detected he would kill this scent in your predictions, and I made light of it because uh, I said, you know, it could be a, a nose mascot, but how'd you like it that you found out the guy with the smell murdered the smell that he likes so much, basically? Well, it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted more of the ethereal version of that. I think of all of my predictions, the one I got the closest to correct is that I, I said it would happen in the year 2300, but basically the idea of inventing a scent that made people kill. He did that. At the end, he pours this angelic scent that just had everybody fucking over it all over himself, and that caused the people to eat him. Cannibalize him. Yeah. <laughs> So it was too much at one time. You know, just like four dabs of this thing floating in the wind was enough to, to enthrall a thousand people. So you got the whole bottle on you and there's only 40 people here. What what what, what do you think is going to happen? Which like comes back to my problems with the movie. It would have been enough for the narrator to just say like, and by that time he was halfway back to Paris and then end the movie right there. But then he's like, he has enough of this scent to conquer the entire world if he wants to. And I'm like, okay. And then the movie keeps going and there was admittedly a pretty good payout with he pours it all over himself and then the people eat him. That's a good enough of a payout for me to be like, all right. And the movie ends on them eating him. Cool. And then it keeps going. Like they just didn't know where their favorite part to end this movie on was. I can see that. They could have ended on Alan Rickman calling him his son and telling him that like he didn't do anything wrong and like forgiving him in his like state of I can smell this scent. And so now I'm under your spell. They could have ended it right there. And it would have been this like kind of creepy horror ending where his scent was so strong that even the person who had every reason to overpower that scent with his willpower could not overpower it. Especially considering this is the guy that's least attached to his intuition, the least attached to what his senses say, more attached to what rationally makes sense to him. That he's overpowered. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, So in defense of the movie, it's based on the book. The book ends where it ends and the movie ends where the movie ends, which is where the book ends. I get that. But as a director, you don't have to, be, you yourself, even said it's good that they took out the my fair lady parts the my little lady parts yes so why couldn't they have taken out these parts and the answer is they could have the director just said ah now nah, put that in and ah, now nah, put that in and ah, now nah, put that in do we have to end it i don't know let's like linger on for a little bit and then zoom in on the like the little vial and then there'll be a drop that comes out and then we'll end it i'll just make up my own bullshit cool little little shot for the ending this guy was not short sweeter in your face he was just it's in the book i'm putting it in fuck it Except for my little lady. I don't like my little lady. <laughs> my fair lady. <laughs>
We're getting to be about that time. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this movie or your experience or just this moment, this recording moment, me and you together? And I'd like to offer my apologies for calling you Smiles politely when your name's been Smiling politely. Oh, no. Um, Smiles is fine. It's fine. Oh, thank you. My friends call me Smiles, so oh, I, guess, okay. I guess that makes us friends now, whatever your name is, because I forgot. <laughs> Bergamot. Sure, why not? <laughs> Bergamonti. We'll, we'll do Bergamonti. That's a good name. I'm named after oranges, which are superior to lemons in every way. <laughs> well, anything's better than a yellow plum. <laughs> Disagree! <laughs> I, uh, oh, 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 man. I meant to say this earlier when I was talking about how, like, it was weird that they were saying that he was finally, like, going to go and live his life. He was triumphant and, like, living in his element now. And they had, like, a scene before that where he was laying on wood and, like, thinking about the wood and, like, smelling the wood and he was smelling the nearby pond and all these things. And I'm like, is that not him in his element? Like, smelling all these nearby smells and thinking about them to himself? I did like how the movie sort of lampshaded the idea that human language is not enough in many cases that was really good for me on a very hyper specific level like i too feel human language is never enough i wish that there was uh more for that in the film other than just saying it yeah there were times where you could see that he was struggling in the moment to come up with the right word but just it wasn't there maybe that could have been a cool thing that they could have fit in and maybe that's why he's so off-putting to other people instead of it being oh he smells things and that's off-putting now it's when he tries to talk to us it's it's weird trying to express that he can't find the word for is he just dumb and it's like maybe there could be a scene where it's like no he's not dumb he finally was able to express this thing in a way that you can understand and it really is a very difficult concept to understand or a, a, a difficult concept to articulate as far as articulating a concept i think most people weren't thinking of it reminds me of when he's bought time with a sex worker she's like you like this don't you because part of her gig is to like rile up her customer he didn't purchase her time for that so she's like okay but this is like if it's not arousing you what is it doing she's like i'm building a perfume she's like uh and then he can smell her getting nervous along with the body language along with the voice and he's like could you relax because you're about to ruin it and that tone makes a situation even more tense i i appreciate that he specified it like i said um please talk to me narrator person talk to me because i'm not able to catch up with all of the things that are happening in front of me it's just a feast for the eyes and the ears and maybe i'm overwhelmed in that way i'm not paying attention to what adds up to pushing the story along but for that moment it just seemed like he was doing a really good job of addressing his reality and what was happening in the present i also imagine that situation is incredibly confusing for the sex worker like she's just like oh you're really into this and he's like no i'm making perfume and she's like what and he's like please relax ma'am because if you're not relaxed you're gonna smell terrible and she's like okay so it definitely is doing something then like i can tell in the way you're speaking right now <laughs> this is i get it you know i don't get it but like i, I get the way that the cogs like line up to make the wheel move i it makes sense and then she sees the little sickle and she's like nope okay. never mind this is this yeah. is not uh <laughs> i had a problem with you almost tying me up and there is a bandage on my arm and you just want to bring out a sickle huh in his defense that probably really is a tool for like scraping something off of another thing it's probably not like a big deal in his mind and that's why he like overlooked it i think that's like one of the few times where we get him not being a gary stew where he makes like an honest mistake and as an audience where we get to be like haha you made a mistake and that's like a normal thing that normal humans do and you have to get better at it over time that's one of the more reasonable fuck-ups he has i brought my totally safe work tool 
Yes. And this lady's freaking out for some reason, and I don't get it. Well, she's freaking out because your totally safe work tool kind of looks like something that somebody would use to kill someone with. I feel like we should talk a little bit more about Laura. I, I did I did want to mention one more thing about Laura, actually. Go on! So the first scene we get introduced to Laura, we don't get introduced to her. I, we see her. He, like, smells her, and she's, like, coming by in her stagecoach. And I don't know if he learned from last time or what, but he, like, posts up on a tree and, like, does, like, a Johnny Bravo, like, kind of pose on the tree. He's not very good at it, but he does look more presentable now than he ever has in front of a woman before and of course she makes eye contact with him they look at each other and he's just like giving her the old smolder you know the hey sup <laughs> and i was like dang man like he really got some composure with women like overnight i'm impressed oh but he's okay it's okay to be gary stew with women overnight well i mean that's the point where i think that it is okay because he's clearly not great he's not johnny bravo but he's like trying something new here, you know? He's giving it a go. And he's not he's not great at it. Like I said, he's still kind of like a little awkward about it. Like a little bit. So I felt Laura's frustration with having an arranged marriage. She was already awkward in front of her fiance, who's like, we should be further along in the intimacy department. She's like, do I have to wear the necklace? And then her dad's like, yes, you better wear that necklace. And she's like, oh, dang. <laughs> then her dad gets more strict and she resents him for that, saying that he's overreacting because he had a silly little dream and he needs to stop worrying about her then we get this one moment almost twice actually so the windows open laura's there antoine rishi's there and he closes her window then i don't know why but granoui's in the room and he's like today's not the day and then he leaves from her windows and then antoine comes to her bedroom and he's like did you open the windows and she's like nah <laughs> But then later on, he is in the house. It is for real kill night. And they make eye contact. And we already see that his blunt object hand has lowered. And I was like, is he going to be taken in by her beauty? Are they going to have one conversation where he's like, I like your smell. And she's like, I hate my dad. I will marry anyone other than the Marquis. Please take me away. <laughs> And then he has the time to lock the door and give Antoine the key back so that he gets to, you know, wake up in his regular morning routine of splashing water on his face and buttoning up all his many buttons and reaching for his key and unlocking the door. Blast of sunshine, you failed. But not only did you fail, you failed while your daughter was upset with you for arranging her future. I will say that I do like that they didn't just make it like arranged marriages are terrible. They did make it like the marquee kind of sucks. <laughs> It's this particular marquee. Yeah. When he finally catches her in the maze, he specifically says, ah, there's no running now. And like tries to kiss her a bunch of times while she is clearly not trying to kiss him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that they made the marquee kind of suck. It's not just like, I don't want to marry you because my dad wants me to marry you. It's yeah. no dad. Uh, I really think this guy sucks. <laughs> I don't even know if I love him. That's not part of the equation, Laura. I need you to get defiled as soon as possible because he attacks the virgins. Inaccurate anatomy analysis, by the way. Yeah, that was another thing. I like how they're like, the doctors have like decided that all of the people are virgins and whatnot. All the men gasping. How could it be? A man withholding himself in front of all these beautiful naked young women? Wait, so he didn't, he didn't kill him and then rape him? Or, or rape him and then kill him? And they're like, no. Who would do such a thing? You gotta 
to at least do both of them if you're going to do one. That doesn't make sense. Are we sure it's a man killing them? Maybe it's a lady, you know? <laughs> Dressed as a man or something like that. Yes, yeah. they do treat the situation like this. They're like He's like, he's like, we have to get into the mind of a killer. And they're like, I don't want to think like a woman. Gross. Good old shithole 1700s France. I think she does a great job of living up to being the muse, the most beautiful one, the clear target. If this guy is collecting ladies that are strangely beautiful and like she's the detective's daughter, I think that's cool. It's basically, I don't really remember seeing that. It's like my date with the president's daughter. So it's a powerful person and he has a, a daughter, but it's rarely like, and this crime boss is after the detective's daughter. I, I, don't, I don't know. It just, it seems like always when they have a father-daughter bond, there's like a love story there. And this one does not have that love story involved. I do like that they show the like mom's grave. So it's like he's a single father and that's kind of sad. The master guy even had like a cool wife. That was cool. <laughs> She got like You're no lines. still the best perfumer. Mwah. That's all she got. I don't know. Got her her sad card, so good for her, I guess. Fuck. <laughs> well, we're uh, coming up about that time. I don't know if I said that before, but if so, this is the for real version. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up for today? I'd like to say that it feels like we're getting too, uh, we're coming up about that times, and I would never, both me and Wendy Peppercorn would never. <laughs> Never. Well, yeah, my job hosting is done. I'm taking off this apron and I'm, I'm living my life. And I'll see everyone in the next episode of See For Yourself. Or not. Or it'll, or it'll be someone else. Because uh, what? I, what? I, I, I fired this person. They're fired. They took the microphone away from me and they said, I'm going to host this one. And I said, oh, no, that's not how really how they do it. And they pulled a gun on me. And I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. And now I've wrestled the gun away from them. You can't see any of this because it's a podcast. That's how this works. And now I have the gun. I have the I have the upper hand. And, uh, <laughs> and Oh, let I'm this saying, please turn out good. Let this Please turn out good. I'm basically, I'm like, I'm like Orson Welles, you know, I just, I found a way to make audio recordings exciting somehow. I, I don't know why I would say that and then re- continue to release episodes of the podcast after the audio recordings aren't exciting or entertaining in any way. False advertising. It was only fun for that one moment when it was very dramatic and high stakes. And now it's just, you know, two friends chatting about a movie. Okay. Well, hey, you know, I'll, I'll leave now. I've overstayed my welcome. Fucking hell. I apologize to the editor for all of this length of film podcast he has to edit, but it was fun while it lasted. And now he has to keep in both of the times where we we said, oh, coming up on that time in order for that whole joke to make any sense. You could just cut off the again. We could do it one more time where... <laughs> You could say it's coming up about the time without chuckling over it. We could do it for a fifth time, why not? You know, we could just do it a hundred thousand times! Just reuse the old clips, I'm sure it's coming about that, you know, time. Good lord. I noticed a girl for the first time and it made me feel strange. Man, I feel so strange. I'm going to act strange now. And I'm not just going to act strange. I'm going to kill. Dude, back up in this dark alleyway.